Hello and welcome to ESPN Scrum Reset. My name's Sam Bruce. I'm the associate editor of ESPN.com.au. We're back again with another podcast and we're very lucky to be joined by former Brumby stalwart, uh, Lockie McCaffrey, coming in to us from Japan this morning. Lockie, how are things in Asia? Oh, Mecha, Mecha Genki, Sam. Thanks for having me, mate. Um, big fan of the podcast. Got uh, seasons just finished here, so quiet morning um, here down in Fukuoka, mate. But um, yeah, good to looking forward to having a chat about all things footy back home. Mate, great to have you on board and, and thanks very much for the time. Uh, of course, we've got Christy Doran back with us from Fox Sports and the 15, mate. Another big weekend of rugby. Um, uh, welcome back once more. Yeah, thanks, Sammy. Great to talk and good to talk about a couple of positive things happening in the game at the moment. And uh, we'll get to the Brumbies in a moment. But yeah, yet another great match between the two competition leaders there with the Reds and the Brumbies. Yeah, that's exactly where we're going to start this week, gents. Um, I think, uh, as Christy said, just another tremendous, tremendous game of rugby there on Saturday night in Brisbane. Um, doing some research last night, that is the four of the last five games decided by five points or less. Of course, uh, the Reds leading 3-2, having won one game last year and then the two this year. That win secures them the home Super Rugby AU final on May 8th, where we hope we'll get a crowd uh, in excess of, I think, about 30 to maybe even up to awards 40,000 people, which would be be great for the game. Um, about 22,000 there on Saturday night. Uh, and Lockie, it's just an incredible rivalry. You were obviously deep involved in it last year, but it seems as though it's gone up again, mate. Um, how did you see Saturday night's game? Yeah, I agree, mate. First of all, what a cracking game of rugby. Um, similar to the first contest um, at GIO in Canberra, but I just thought, I just love how both teams are playing, um, you know, win or lose. They've both got their mindset on playing attacking footy. They're scoring points. Um, they've both got different strengths and they're just going to back that um, no matter win or lose. And, you know, both Dan McKellar kind of brought in a game plan a few years back and Brad Thorne's done the same thing and they've just stuck to it and slowly built it. Um, and now I think both teams are playing consistently probably the best footy um, out of any team sort of in, in Super Rugby in Australia or New Zealand. So, I um, yeah, if you're, if you're struggling to support rugby in Australia over the last few years, all you've got to do is watch a, a Brumbies versus Reds contest and um, you'll, quickly, you'll quickly change your mind about where the state of rugby is back home. Absolutely, yeah. The figures, uh, Metro figures on Gem alone on Saturday night up around about 91,000. So that's pretty good. Christy, um, a few things that stood out for me. Certainly the Brumbies came out with a real, real intent in defence, um, got up in the face of the Brumbies. Um, a couple of suspect challenges there, one of which was was called up on, um, on one of the Brumbies forwards, on James O'Connor. And then in the second half, uh, just the red set piece dominance and also the execution of both sides. I thought in the first half there was a few balls hitting the ground, but in the second half in particular, uh, a try each, um, the one finished by Tom Wright from the set play uh, off a non-line-out drive from the Brumbies um, uh, there in the second half. And earlier, the Reds cross kick from James O'Connor and the phase that followed that that put Josh Fluke over. Um, a couple of really, really well executed tries where the skill execution was on point. Passes out in front, the timing, everything. Just really, really positive sides looking at it from a Wallabies perspective. Yeah, I actually thought Paul Cully summed it up best where he said that the Brumbies threw everything out of the kitchen sink, but they still came up short. They were physical. Rob Valentini really set the tone of it. 
Um, and you, you ask, well, how can the Brumbies beat the Reds? They've thrown everything at, the, at them twice and they've come back and they've just fallen short. So where do they find those little improvements? Um, clearly, they would have been disappointed that they didn't get more um, to owe out of the, the rowing more dominance early on. Um, I think Dan McKellar was a little bit filthy that Taniella doesn't get sent to the sin bin. I think he infringed three times in a row. And even though they end up scoring the try, it's a worthy point. And I don't actually like it how you can have a bloke get sent to the sin bin and then and they still score the try. But at the end of the day, that's how it's often adjudicated. So you ask for a bit of consistency there. Um, as for the Reds, the, the best thing I think about that was James O'Connor recognises that what the Reds had done for 45 minutes hadn't worked. They had, you know, been 15 phases early in the second half. That happened in the first half as well. And they really made no in-grounds in, um, in at all. So O'Connor puts boot to ball, first phase, risky play. You risk getting, um, giving it away. And that really changed the course of the game. Jordan Pattaya with 50-22 later on. And then obviously the crossfield kick to Pattaya from O'Connor again. So the kicking game, the change of strategy was phenomenal. See, to, and, and, and seldom have we seen over the last few years, particularly an Australian team have the ability to adapt their game plan halfway through a game. How often have we seen things aren't working? What do you do to change it? Where's your B? Where's your C plan? We saw it on Saturday night. Yeah, excellent points, Christy. Lockie, um, what will Dan McKellar, how will he approach this? Obviously, they've got a game to go through this week um, and then um, that, uh, that qualifying final for to get another crack at the Reds before they might head up to Brisbane once again. Um, I know you don't want to get ahead of things. You want to focus on the game that's coming beforehand, but... Let's think a little bit ahead. Um, what will he be saying to this Brumbies group? They've led these two games basically for all but a couple of minutes, um, a minute and each really with the, the try down there in Canberra earlier in the year, scored by Pattaya. And then clearly uh, on the weekend, um, just getting the job done late again, the Reds and then the Brums having that last chance to win it. Um, what's the mentality of this side, I guess? And, and how will he turn it around given that they have held the lead but have been run down on both occasions? Is it a case of boys, we've only just got to finish the job here or what are we doing wrong that we're not finishing these games off? Yeah, mate. You know, I think Dan, um, you know, they'll come in Tuesday morning and have a really lengthy, honest review about the game. Um, not because they lost, uh, but because they'll all be very disappointed for the second time against the Reds, um, being up, you know, being in control of a game and letting it slip. I'm not saying the Reds didn't deserve to win. You know, they played, you know, some really smart footy in the last 30 minutes of that game. But, you know, when you're up by, when you're up by points in, in games, you've really got to play smart, strategical footy to, to close the game out. And I don't think the Brumbies are doing that well enough. Um, so, you know, I'm sure they'll, it won't be negative, but they'll, you know, they'll have a really honest review, mate. Um, you know, things like discipline are letting the Brumbies down still. Um you know, late tackles, just silly penalties that um, I know won't go down well, um, you know, in the in the review meeting on, on Tuesday. Um, you know, finishing teams off, you know, are the, are the 9, 10, 12 um, playmakers, are they, you know, making the right decisions in that last 30 minutes? I thought James O'Connor really won that kicking battle in the last 25 minutes, um, you know, versus Noah and Ira and Banksy. Um, a few times they put up half contestables, half kicking long and 
just like the one Patea did the 50-22, just kicked back and, and really played probably smarter footy and, and turned the game around there. Um, and then also still having a chance to win it at the end. Um, you know, it just wasn't really Brumby's footy that round the corner hitting, hitting Mac Hansen up with a, you know, passive sort of nothing carry and, and Fraser McWright's too good a footy player to, to land at his feet and create that turnover. Um, but you know what? What they'll be happy about is that it's happened now. Um, similar to last year when we went up to Suncorp and, and got thrashed by the Reds, um, you know, and, and, and they, they scored a few tries um, in Tom Wright's channel out wide. And that was the best thing for us going into a finals game versus the Reds because we fixed, we had time to fix those things. Um, and in the grand final, really controlled the game for 80 minutes. Um, you know, both teams have really good strengths. You know, Reds have the scrum at the moment, which is really dominating, which I'm a little bit surprised about because of the, you know, Wallaby front row at, at, the, at the Brumbies with Slipper and Alatoa, who are unbelievable props, um, and Flower there in the middle. I think it will help when Harry Lloyd and Tom Ross come back, mate, because... Taniel is really dominating the last probably 15, 20 minutes of, of scrums in the games. And you bring Lloyd and Ross back um, off the bench to strengthen that scrum up in the last 20 minutes. And he might not get that, that pay to really win games for the Reds in the, in the final close of the game. So that will make a difference going forward. Um, it's just funny how, you know, when it's structured footy, the Brumbies just control games so well from set-piece plays, their set-piece, their mall, you know, getting down the field with White's box kick. But, you know, from the 30th to the 40-minute mark or the 60 to the 80th-minute mark, Reds are just deadly. That's where they score all their points. Um, their offloading game, O'Connor's vision, um, just brilliant from Patea and Pasami out wide too. Um, you know, they're so dangerous. So... I think that's where it will come down to, um, you know, in a, in a finals game, if Brumbies can keep the Reds from scoring in the last 10 minutes of both halves, then I'd tip Brumbies to win the game. They've just got to be a little bit smarter with their kicking game um, with the nine and tens, or if, or if Lonigan's coming on the field with the reserve nine or 10 um, to make sure they, they close those games off. Cause they know deep down they're good enough to, to build these good leads and, um, good enough to put points, even if it is the mall or, or set-piece plays against the Reds. Um, they've just got to tighten up their discipline and, and probably not let Reds play so unstructured in, you know, when, when there's tied defenders. Um, but, mate, yeah, really, really exciting to, to see them go at it again. I think the, the rugby um, population in, in Australia is already getting ready to get the popcorn out, mate, and, and watch a finals game at Suncorp, you know, with 40, 45,000 people there. Sammy, I'll, I'll jump in here. And off the back of, uh, lucky your comments around Taniela, I don't know how much truth there is to this because I wasn't there, but you hear a lot of stories or, and anecdotes from other people that are there. And there was one moment a couple of years back, apparently, where one uh, influential Australian rugby figure was at a, scrum, at a, at a training session and, various scrums were being packed down and Taniello was asked to go on one side of the scrum and that side of the scrum dominated heavily. And then he got asked to switch it around and he will jump on the other side of the scrum and come up against the, the, the pack he was just packing down against. And wherever Taniello went, they just dominated. 
the bloke has got so much strength and force. And I know that, Lockie, you're very close with Alan having lived with him. But Taniella is just someone who you get the impression can just change the game. And we know how influential set piece is when it comes to rugby. He's, he's a real colossal force that the Wallabies, you just hope, you think and you hope, how do we get the best out of him at a test level? Because he's so influential. And the other thing about that is he's playing 80 minutes. You know, Alan, at the moment, uh, he just come back after three weeks suspension. So clearly he's not going to probably get through that and have the gas in his tank. But to have someone out there for so long is just such a such a weapon. Yeah, I'm mate, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Taniella. You know, he does things in a game of rugby that no other prop can do in world rugby. Um, but there's other ways I would be targeting him, you know, to tire him out, to, you know, prevent his dominance in a scrum. You know, Thorns really smartly used him actually quite on the edge lately um, for the Reds in the attack. So he's actually running it, you know, inside, outside backs, uh, dominating contact, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, if that means, you know, using a Robbie Valentini to to defend on the edge better and, you know, really ruffling him, not ruffling him up, but, you know, defending him better than an Ray Simone would on the weekend, then these are different little you know, tactical strategies that could be could be played. Um, you know, I think the Reds are using him really smartly and he's playing such good footy, both in the scrum and both around the park for 80 minutes. Um, and I think Brumbies have to have to do a better job in a final, really, containing him around the field and making his life tough. Um, so in that last 20 minutes, mate, he might have, hopefully, hopefully a little bit less energy um, to dominate that scrum area. And on that point, we see we saw the All Blacks do just that. I think in well uh, in Auckland last year in the second Bledisloe, where they really went, we've just got to shut down Taniella, and he was subbed yeah. at half time, and the Wallabies' influence just was not near. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And career best form is the Tongan Thor, and uh, certainly looms again as a big game player uh, come the final on May eight. Um, Robbie Valentini, Lockie, you mentioned there, um, probably had his. One of his best games, I think, on the weekend, really set the tone for the Brums defensively. And is in this really curious Wallabies number six position who we, where we don't really have a, a clear idea of, of who's going to wind up there. Obviously, Lockie Swinson made an impact for about 35 minutes in Brisbane last year before he got himself in a bit of hot soup. Um, we've seen Pete Samu there in the past, who was actually in a moon boot uh, getting on the bus uh, at the Wallabies camp in, in Sydney yesterday, I noted. Um, so not sure predicament there. Does he play too loosely for a test level, Pete Sama? That's something I'm keen to discuss. But Robbie Valentini, um, I think, Christy, you were big on him at the start of the year. You tipped him for being one of the players to watch and really take that ne next step. Um, we need to see more games like that. We did on the weekend from him for that to be the case. And Lockie, I guess, mate, what's he like, Robbie Valentini? Um, can you give us an insight into, into his psyche and, and how you saw him kind of improve over your time at the Brumbies? Yeah, mate, I've, um, similar to Christy, I've been so impressed with Robbie this year. Um, you know, everyone knows he's going to be physically dominant. You know, he's probably, he could have dominated physically super rugby when he was probably 16, 17. Um, but he's only 21. Um, and I think Dan and, and Laurie and, and Pete Hewitt last year did a really good job with him. Um, you know, working on the areas that he wasn't as good with, if that is, you know, uh, skills on an edge, um, his training standards every day, uh, not switching off and probably getting his involvements up. And I think this year, those three areas have come on a long way. You know, I think 
Last year, he would come in and out of games a little bit, do something great, but then, um, you know, he might stick on an edge for 10 minutes, etc. He's too good a rugby player to not be having huge amount of involvements during a game. Um, you know, for my for watching all the Super Rugby games this year, he's been my favourite back rower. Probably him and Fraser McRide have been the two form back rowers um, out of any teams. And I think what Robbie brings to a game, he, for my liking, would be a, a starting six for the Wallabies. Um, but he's got to make sure he keeps doing what he did on the weekend, and that is having a lot more involvements during a game. Um, you know, his skills on an edge. Nick Berry caught it forward, but I liked his offload, um, you know, on the weekend a few times down those short channels, um, you know, and I've, I've talked to guys at Brumbies and I know from day one preseason, he came in and he's just been carving up training, which a lot of the time it takes kind of guys to get 25, 26 to really realise how important training standards are during a week um, leading into a game. You know, I only learnt that later on in my career, how important that is. But the boys have all said how well Robbie's training. Um, you know, he's running over blokes on a Monday and a Tuesday in drills. And when I heard that, I thought, oh, that's a great sign for a 21-year-old young kid um, to really be pushing himself day in, day out. And I think, you you know, everyone's seen the seen the flow and effect in his game this year. I've been, I've been really impressed. It was really interesting having spoken to Laurie Fisher and Dan McKellar pre-season and, and they both said comms was such a big thing for, for Robbie because he and Pete Sam are a bit quieter and they don't often demand the ball. And, and you know, they still have... We, we saw glimpses, as you said, like what they could do last year, but it was not just getting, you know, half a dozen touches on the ball. It's, it's doubling that. And, it's, and, it, and that's one of the keys when it gets to the Wallabies as well, that they want to to really make sure that their voice is heard and that they're demanding the ball. Um, and, and that's really one of the reasons why both of them have been in and out of that Wallaby side because they want the work rate much, much higher. So impressive to see. Um, Robbie's just got such a physical presence there. And the thing that I like about him maybe more than Lockie Swinson at the moment is he doesn't look like he's the bloke who's going to get you a red card either. You know, he plays with with some force. We saw that on the weekend, shrugging away players and just, you know, almost like Taniela Tupo, just stampeding over the top of them. But he doesn't look like he's going to be sent off at any moment, which which gives the whole team, I think, confidence. Yeah, uh, excellent point, Christy. Um, it's a fine line, as we know, with, with discipline this weekend. And there was a moment um, in Brisbane on Saturday night when I thought Alan Alatoa might have been heading Yep. For 10 minutes again. Um, I'm not going to say it's a, it's an issue with his technique at all because I love his physicality and it's it's the way he hits front on, but um, we know how careful players have got to be and they've just got to be almost pinpoint perfect these days not to get themselves into strife. Uh, boys, before we leave this one, um, I know we can always isolate individual decisions and moments from matches um, from just about every game that's played under the sun every year. But clearly... There was one right at the back end here, and they always seem to be amplified when they come in the final minutes. Um, 
clearly uh, there was a hand in the ruck from from Liam Wright. I think it was Caden Neville took the ball in. Um, Liam Wright uh, didn't make the tackle, got over the ball, um, missed the, was cleaned out, was blatantly on the ground and had a big swipe at the ball with his right hand. Nick Berry sticks his right arm out, clearly indicating advantage. Then he's got a call either from uh, the assistant or has just changed his mind and, and sure enough, um, moments later, that hand was back down behind by his side. Now, um, social media whipped up on this one and, and even drew quite a um, an expletive remark from someone who we, we won't throw under the bus here. Um, but let's just look at it, Lockie. For you, um, I must admit at the time, I thought it was a stray boot. So it just shows how quickly these things can happen. But then on watching it again, it was clearly the big right arm of Liam Wright. Um, it's not going to make it any easier for the Brumbies to take, but uh, I guess how do you see that incident and how will the Brumbies address it? Yeah, I think um, then Brumbies won't even talk about it, mate. Firstly, um, there's a lot more important things in a game of rugby than than one um, unlucky decision, and and I'm sure that won't even be brought up this week or going forward. So that on that path, but first of all, you know, I think Nick's a really good ref. I think Graham and Amy are doing a really good job. Um, it's great to see referees in Australia that used to play rugby also like those three used to do. I think they've got a, a good feel for the game. Um, and, you know, I think they're doing a good job, similar to Ben O'Keefe, who played rugby in New Zealand. And I think he's doing a really good job over in the, in the New Zealand games too. Um, so that's positive for the game. You know, and looking at a game of rugby, you could look at 30 to 40 rucks per game where the decision could go the other way. Um, and we're only talking about it because obviously it was in the last two minutes of the game and the game was so tight, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, you know, we all make mistakes. The, the, the question I would have is, um, you know, it all comes back to consistency. It doesn't, you know, and that's where Graham um, Cooper, you know, the week before with the, with the Brumbies Waratahs game, did a similar thing, played the game on. Uh, Brumbies thought they'd won the game went to the TMO to see that uh, Tommy Cusack had, had put, his hand, put his hand through the ruck. Um, he got his second yellow, got the red card, went off, and, and Waratahs scored in the corner um, and could have kicked it to, to tie the game, which would have obviously changed the complexion of um, the, you know, the competition structure and, and points. So I don't understand when Nick obviously was 50-50 putting his hand up. Um, I don't have a problem with him playing the game on if he wasn't sure that that Liam Wright put his hand through and knocked it out. But I don't know where the consistency or why he didn't decide to, um, you know, go back to the TMO. Or I don't know why the TMO, obviously, he had another two, three minutes to watch that, watch the vision, um, you know, two or three times and, and dial in to Nick on the field saying, you know, Nick, you're right. First of all, that was Liam Wright's hand, go back for a penalty. Um, you know, we hold players to high standards every weekend. And when a player doesn't play well, the media rip into him and, um, and you know, get into him. And everything comes down to performance. Um, and, you know, no one's perfect. I'm not having a go at, at Nick about that last decision because I think the Reds deserve to win the game. So I don't think, you know, it would have changed things anyway. But my question would be, where's the consistency? Why did Graham feel like it was okay the week before to ask the TMO for for uh, a check? And, um, and Nick decided, you know, he probably didn't want to get booed off by 25,000 fans at Suncorp. So just blow the whistle and get on with it. That would... That would be my question, mate, because as I'm watching a lot of games this year, 
it's a consistency that really confuses me as a rugby supporter and a rugby fan. Um, you know, you mentioned before Alan's tackle on the weekend, um, you know, and, and his uh, red card versus the Melbourne Rebels, which, which blows me away, mate, because, you know, people say I'm biased because he's um, a good friend of mine. But, you know, watching all the games this year, um, I'll give you two scenarios. Alan um, had to change direction, you know, last second. It was head-on-head, head, um, definitely mitigating factors and accidental. Um, obviously, never nice to see someone get knocked out um, and taken off the field. But he gets red-carded and then get six weeks suspension, which I think got reduced to four because he's obviously had a good behavior record. Um, but then the, I'm watching the Melbourne Rebels versus Force on the weekend and, and from a line out, Matt Tamua charges out of the line. Um, you know, I know Matt's a, a good player, a fair player, but he gets head on head collision with, I think it was Kyle Godwin. Um, I would say less mitigating factors in that tackle, still head on head. But Matt Tamu obviously gets knocked out instead of instead of the ball carrier. Not one commentator talked about it. The touchies didn't talk about it. The TMO, the ref, nothing happened. Matt Tamu goes off with a with a HIA, and they still play with 15 players on the field, which brings me to the biggest problem of consistency. And at the moment, players are being you know we're being refed on the result of something happening, not the actual intent or action of it happening. And the more that happens, mate, the more problems will incur in rugby where, you know, if there's a 50-50 decision, you're teaching players to lie down or, or wait for a second or third clip from the TMO. And, and that's not what we want as supporters in, in rugby. You know, we don't want players faking injuries or whatever it is. But if that's a decision between getting three points or getting a player in the opposition yellow, red carded and turning a game then, you know, I don't blame a player for, for using those tactics, mate, because, you know, you should not be reft on the result of something. You should be reft on the intent or the actual action. And that's probably been my biggest gripe this year with the refing, mate, in, um, in Super AU. On that point, it's, it's, it's a good one. Um, the, the issue with def defending, World Rugby has made it really, really clear that they want to see the tackle height lowered because you're much more likely to get knocked out and concussed as the tackler as opposed to the ball carrier. Um, and you do see a lot of head-on-head. Head. And we know from um, World Rugby's research that you're likely to um, get a worse concussion from an upper body contact as opposed to your head getting on someone else's knee or lower leg. It, you know, it's harder parts of the body. So that is why they're wanting to lower the, um, the, the tackle height. And, they're, and they're, you know, there's been talk about, you know, in the case of Matt Tamur there, the perfect example was he's the one who gets injured, but he's probably the one who should get suspended as well because it was his issue by tackling so high and, you know, approaching that collision uh, and putting both players in danger. Yeah, great points, fellas. I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I must admit, I, I thought the same thing there on Friday night watching that game. Uh, it's a good segue to move on to the Rebels themselves, who I, I feel like we're all a little bit disappointed. I, I must admit, I, I had them pegged for fourth this year, looking at their squad. And they've been kind of, apart from not having Hayley Petty and Nicerani for much of the season, they haven't been too badly affected by injury until the weekend when they... They lost Reese Hodge, which we, we might come to that challenge a bit later as well. 
Um, I feel like they're, they're playing... That was a, clearly a lost opportunity on Friday night. They, they dominated that game. They had the field position, the territory. They created enough opportunities to score multiple tries, I thought, and just didn't finish them off. Now, is that, Christy, is that a victim? Sorry, is that a, a, a actual um, an end game of, of how Dave Vessels has, has set them up to play? Um, are they just missing that, that little bit of uh, extra X factor out there? Um, because they, they're clearly going to need to find something this week against against the Brumbies and then the week after against the Waratahs potentially to claim that third spot who, let's face it, um, the Waratahs back at home, they showed a little bit of something last week against the Brums, they had the week off. We know there's the bounce back effect of a coach being sacked, but they'll be certainly be up for that final game just as they were last year in Sydney um, and that would be a pretty ordinary end for the Rebels. And and I guess a follow-on question, Christy, um, how much pressure would that put on, on Dave Vessels? We know his contract's up this year. Where would that leave him as the team's coach? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I think it comes down to vision. Look, we, we've seen James O'Connor opt for, for penalty goals and um, they've turned out to be great decisions because they've, they've won the matches. Whereas the Rebels, you know, we saw it in the first round, the second round, we saw it on the weekend again. They... All they're doing is pointing to the posts, pointing to the sticks, and that's all they're doing. You know, it's all well and good taking three points, but, but we haven't seen enough for them in, in attack. We haven't. They, they bombed a mountain of opportunities on the weekend too. So you know, if they if they complete one or two of those sorts of movements, they win, and we don't even talk about Dave Vessels and his future. But there does seem to be very much a, a lack of vision there um, around how they want to play their games. I, I think, and that's. You know, Dave Vessels has been there for quite a while now. Um, the, when he was at the force, he had the benefit, really, of a free shot, a free hit. You know, they, we knew that they were going. Um, and, the, and the players and the supporters all rallied behind him. We haven't seen anything in the three, four years that Dave Vessels is there to suggest that things are getting better, I would think. And, and, and also just the, their vision of the game. And I look at someone like Dan McKellar and what he did at the Brumbies. You know, he becomes head coach and goes, no, we're, we're not, we, we might be doing enough to scrape into the finals, but we're not doing enough to win a final. And that comes through. Uh, so he's, he's torn up Stephen Larkin's playbook and said, no, we need to become a, and work on our attack. We need to start working to our strengths of the rolling more. And people might, you know, not like that but it was an effective way to score tries. Um, but on, in addition to that, the counter-attack that they've developed is, is first class. So I, I, I think there really needs to be a lot of thought about where Dave Vessels is. Um, I don't know if it's right, the exact right time to, to, to call for his head, but we need to see a lot more coming through this trans-Tasman period, that's for sure. Lockie, they've, yeah. um, sorry, they've got Sunday's game against the Brumbies coming up. Um, and clearly you, you might have some thoughts on where Dave's at. But is it also a case of clearly we understand that from all the Waratahs discussions that there's actually not a hell of a lot of other coaches probably ready to step into a super rugby job in Australia. I don't imagine the, the list of applicants would be would be overly impressive if, if that was the case, if, if Dave was... Was, um, was given his marching orders. And, and as Christy mentioned, he's got, still got Trans-Tasman to, to turn it around again, and maybe that's where something might happen for them. Yeah, mate. I, th I think Christy's point about the vision is, is an important one. You know, he talked about Dan three years ago 
you know, spending hours and hours looking at what's the game plan to win a championship. Um, you know, I think Brad Thorne's done a, a similar job at the Reds three, three, four years ago, coming in, you know, picking a style of rugby that they're going to build and stick to, obviously adapt at times. But, you know, that if you talk about the Reds, you know how they're going to play. If you talk about the Brumbies, you know how you're going to play. And it's not just beating other Aussie teams. It's about beating Kiwi teams too and South African teams, et cetera, et cetera. And I tell you what, you know, you're not going to beat Kiwi teams picking, going for penalty goals anywhere within the 50 metres. It's just not going to happen. So what surprises me, you know, and I'm not, I've never been down at the Rebels, so I don't want to be too critical, but what surprises me is that there's no vision, there's no game plan there to win a championship. Um you know, the it's more a let's keep kicking penalties so we just scrape a win instead of let's kill teams off with our set piece, our scrum, our maul, our offloading, our set piece plays, whatever it is. You know, the Rebels have had a really good roster for the last three, four years. You know, that they should be they should have been winning Aussie conferences for the last one of three, four years. And I think they've missed most of finals and then finished third last year. And you know, going for three points all the time might scrape your win. You know, they, they nearly drew or, or beat the Brumbies. And we've actually struggled against the Rebels, you know, at the Brumbies the last three or four years. Um, and I'm not a coach, so I, I don't want to be too critical again. But I just, you know, as a, as a player, if I'm there, what are you buying into? You're buying into, okay, boys, let's defend well. Let's try and play as, you know, a few phases until we get a penalty. And then Tamura and Hodge will, will step up and kick a, kick a goal like that. That's not motivating me as a player. If I'm a player, I, you know, um, there's guys I've played with that have um, been coached by Tony Brown. And they say the best thing about him is every Monday he comes in and on the whiteboard, he's got a new play they're going to try for that week. You know, as a player, I think, oh, how exciting. You know, you come in on a Monday and you think there's going to be something different. There's going to be something exciting. You know, players don't play to kick penalty goals and scrape through wins. They play to win championships. And I think that's the biggest problem. You know, I went through last night and Rebels have played six games and they've only scored a try in three games. You know, they've got an average of one try per game. And for their roster, they've got one of the best wingers in in world rugby at the moment with Marika. And all he does is chase kicks. Like it's, it's, um, it's baffling watching at the moment. You know, I, as a, as a supporter of, you know, attacking good style of rugby back home, you know, it's, it's, it's probably, I think, almost more disappointing how the Rebels are playing with their roster than the Waratahs season so far because, you know, you, you can see why the Waratahs are struggling with their squad and, and the young kids coming through where there's no excuses at the Rebels, I would say, mate. Um, so I hope for the remaining few games they've got, um, you know, they might they might make the finals and, and win a few games and surprise me, mate. But I just hope, you know, unfortunately with Hodge being out and, and not being able to kick those 50-metre goals, hopefully they they change their tactics and they start going to the line or or playing some some more phases. You know, with, they've got some good attacking forwards with Hosea and Wells. Big Elof likes throwing the ball around too and throwing some dummies. So they've got some good players. They've just, I think, Wessels or whoever the coaching staff is there with, Sean Byrne has to has to back, you know, the, the players they've got there more in, instead of trying to scrape through games on on kicking penalty goals, mate, because, um, I, yeah, I, I'm not a big fan there. With the coaching point you brought up before, 
Um, you know, I listened to to Clarky last week and I couldn't agree with him more with the, you know, making sure it's, you know, Aussie coaches we're trying to appoint at the Waratahs or, you know, any other any other franchise in Australia. Um, you know, as a player, I think it's it's definitely special playing for a good coach, but it's even more special playing for a, a good coach that is passionate about the area they're from and 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 representing. Mate, I've you know, I think there's a huge amount of good Aussie coaches around. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk about DC or, or Johnny Menenti um, getting rewarded from club level. You know, I had Johnny at Eastwood and he was a, he was a really good coach. We won a premiership in 2011 with Johnny versus a, a star-studded Sydney Uni team. Um, he's a really good people manager, mate. Um, he gets the best out of players and teams. And I think that's a really, really, um, you know, important aspect of a head coach. I haven't had DC, um, but he's done a good job at, at Warringah and, and Gordon. Um, you know, and there's lots of good Aussie coaches that have been coaching overseas. You've got Phil Blake, um, who I had at Leicester, that's a really insightful, um, smart coach and has had great experience around the world. I think Les Kiss is doing a good job at, at London Irish. You've got Peter Hewitt, who's done a great job with the Brumbies attack over the last few years and... Um, you know, is over at Rico in Japan. Um, you know, Nick Styles doing a good job at Kintetsu. And then you can bring in, you know, I think the Kiwis do a good job of bringing in players that have just finished. You know, they've got Corey Jane and Tyler Blando at, at the Hurricanes, Tamadi Ellison's um, at the Crusaders, David Hills at the Chiefs. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, we've got Jeff Parling at Nick Henderson, Rory Murphy, Dan Palmer, similar guys, but um, bringing in guys that have just finished playing um, to bring, you know, insight into a, a new coaching structure, you know, I think is is a positive. You know, I don't know what Dan Hulangahu is doing at the Blues, um, you know, yeah. but they've never struggled with their attack over there in Auckland. So I think, you know, looking for an Aussie coach uh, as a board at the Waratahs or, you know, the Rebels or whatever, there's a huge amount of options. You've just really got to do your homework and um, put in time to picking the right man for the job. Yeah, fair enough, mate. Fair enough. A number of good examples there. And uh, clearly, uh, we'll watch this space with uh, with the Rebels and, and Dave starting on Sunday afternoon. The rare bit of uh, Sunday afternoon footy with the rework of the draw earlier in the year, given that late little COVID hiccup in Melbourne. Um, Christy, before we leave the Rebels, let's go back to Friday night. Um the charge down attempt on uh, Reece Hodge there at the finish when he took the drop goal. Now, not for a minute are we going to suggest that it was Tim Anstey's um, intent to, to injure Reece at all. Um, but interesting, unlike in rugby league, there's no kind of provision within the laws to guard against the challenge of that nature. Now, Reece is going to miss the next 10 weeks, and that's a huge blow for the Rebels and, and clearly for the Wallabies as well. He'll, he'll be racing the clock there to to be right for that France series, which um, we're pretty confident will will go ahead. Um, how did you see it? It was, in my opinion, it was clumsy, just a clumsy challenge. And and in that case, should Tim Anstey pay a price of a, of a small suspension or perhaps something that he gets a warning for? Yeah, yeah, he absolutely should. And it, it should kind of get to the attention of all the coaches. And you'd like to think that, that those sorts of things are being discussed from... Um, you know, we talk about alignment at the moment. And I know that GMs are catching up today, in fact, in, in, in Sydney. Uh, those sorts of things have to be brought up because you, you can't 
you, you don't want anyone hurt and, and someone like Reese Hodge that can, you know, if that's Matt and Moore, it kind of ends the Rebels season definitely. Yeah. Um, you know, so y- yes, we, 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 we see a lot of things that are brought up and, and the unfortunate thing is if, if you're going to cop a suspension, it has to be meet the red card threshold. Maybe that isn't actually unfortunate, but it has to meet the red card threshold. Would that have met the red card threshold? No, probably not. But Yes, we probably do need to say, start to see a slight tinkering of the law there for those things not to occur. Lockie, anything on that? Yeah, I um, similar to Christy, mate. I I was chatting about the actual you know incident after the game and and didn't know actual the laws. You know if they can replay that and if Rebels could have got a penalty for that for that clumsy tackle. There was no malice or intent in it, but no. Um, you know, you've when you dive off the off the ground, you've got to know where you're gonna land. Um, you know, for me, playing rugby, it looked more just a unfortunate accident than anything. Um, but yeah, I think it's been been a positive with the rugby league guys that you know, if you if you land off, if you fly off the off the ground, you're you're responsible with where you finish or where you hit. Um, I know Bernard Foley did something similar on the weekend um, in Japan and, and hit Bowden Barrett late, which, which not many people minded, but he got a yellow card here in Japan. So yeah, I, I was surprised once again, it's one of those things at the end of the game where the ref blows his whistle and you kind of think, Oh, what could have happened? Um, But, you know, I, I'm sure Tim Anstey would have apologized to Hodge after the game and, and really, Really unfortunate just for everyone at the Rebels and, and the Wallabies that Hodge has to go through this this now because he's had a had a good 12 months and everyone, you know, he's a, he's a key member of that Wallaby squad. I'm loving seeing how the Rebels have brought in Frank Lamani on the wing and it's something that we've seen a couple of the Super Rugby sides do, playing very quick halfbacks with great agility um, and explosiveness. Uh, Isaac Fines at the Brumbies. Um, I think we'll see Morris Longbottom next year pop up in a similar sort of role but this is a great piece of innovation which Australian rugby sides have cottoned on to off the back of Cheslin Colby and I think I made mention of it a few weeks ago but that Frank Lamani look he, he you know if, if he got an intercept on the weekend unfortunately it's blown up because of uh, an earlier knock-on infringement could have actually perhaps played on I thought advantage might have been played there by the force but um He's someone that you'd like to see a few set piece plays designed because he's so quick and elusive, and um, you've got to you've got to think of ways of how you can change the game up. And, and he's one person that the Rebels can definitely uh, focus their attention on. Yeah, prior to Cheslin Colby, it's almost going back to little Francois Hogard uh, there for the Springboks for a number of years on the wing. Uh, now back at number nine, I think for um, for Worcester in the Premiership. Uh, boys, um, let's move on finally to. Um, the Wallabies captaincy, it's a, I guess it's an issue we've been talking about for the best part of a couple of years now. Um, we know Michael Hooper is, is such an integral member of, of this Wallabies setup, uh, currently enjoying a, a well-deserved um, sabbatical, a short playing sabbatical over in Japan with Toyota Verblitz, who, um, who Lockie has been keeping an eye on and clearly says he's, uh, he's playing good rugby and you can Australian fans can watch that on stand. The top 14, sorry, the top league, as well. Um, but Christy, I want to go to you first on this one, mate. Um, an article just purely on the back of this absolute resurgence from James O'Connor since his return to Australia there ahead of the 2019 World Cup. Um, originally was playing in the outside centre position back then. And I guess it just shows of 
of the versatility of the guy that um, we've seen him play just about every backline position bar number nine since he first debuted for the, the force all those years ago. Um, now, it's a, it's a tricky one because we don't want to just, I think anyway, um, have change for change's sake. Uh, and the other option is if you, if you feel like the lack of a success that Michael Hooper has had in a leadership role um, over that time, we, we know the Wallabies have struggled um, since the 2015 World Cup first under Michael Checker and, and only the one win clearly last year in, in Dave Rennie's first year in charge. But but what is it that you like so much, Christy, about what you've seen from James O'Connor that would potentially put him up as a as another candidate, which would only be for, for a short term? We're not talking this as a, as a long-term thing because... James is, is certainly towards the end of his career. He's still got some great rugby to play, no doubt, is playing the best of it. some of the best of his career right now. But but what is it that you've seen for him that you think this is a, a potentially a good change to make this year? Well, let's go through, through a few things. James O'Connor's thirty. You know, he's not thirty-three. Um, we saw we saw Dan Carter win a World Cup when he was what thirty-four, maybe. Uh, uh, I forget the exact age, but I think about 34. Johnny Sexton's, what, 36? And he's the captain of Ireland at the moment, uh, still being spoken about as a potential British and Irish lion. Um, James O'Connor's getting quicker from what I understand uh, after years of injuries and, and being injury riddled, plagued with knees and, and, and ankles and so forth. He's getting sharper again, which is what we need to see because a fly half who's not quick isn't going to make too many line breaks and isn't going to challenge the line. What I like about O'Connor is, as a captain at the moment, what we saw at the Reds was we saw it twice that the Reds come from massive deficits, 17-0 against the Brumbies, then make two decisions to, to take shots at goal, get to 17-6, score a try, and you're right back in the contest. We saw it again on the weekend. Um, they're, they're, they're sorts of things that you go, okay, well, how has that happened? And I think it's in part because he's got the team a young team right behind him. He's the bloke who always calls the shots anyway because he's playing fly half. But now he gets a really, he gets to choose and see how's that forward pack going. Are they gonna, are they gonna actually win the scrum? Are they gonna, you know, how's the line out going? Because he will know if the line out's not functioning, he's not getting the ball. You're not going to kick to the corner. The Reds' line out has been at times dicey. Um, but I think, you know, also on the top of that. Michael Hooper, from what I understand, has the respect of the playing group. But, yeah, yeah. but you look at, you know, look at politicians and so forth. And why do why do people make changes? And, and they might still be in the side, but it's to try to win. And if you're not winning in the polls or whatever, you make a change. The Wallabies have been losing for six years, really, since 2016. And you know, he took over the captaincy from Stephen Moore. Um, but unfortunately, there haven't been many wins. Can a player inspire someone else to do better? And the and the, you know how how they interact with the uh, with the referee is really important. We know that that's something that Michael Hooper struggled with. And I spoke to James Hallwell last night, and I asked him about the burdency of captaincy. Can it be a bad? Can it can it can it bring a player back? You know how how detrimental can it be to him and the team? And and he said that it can be a burden the captaincy, and and you know. Um, it can weigh you down. I think Michael Hooper's been weighed down for quite a while. You look at him around press conferences, you look around him and just his general persona, and it seems like he's got the weight on his shoulders and he's trying to do everything. 
I don't think that's sending a very positive message right through the team. James O'Connor has completely turned his life around and people are following him. And I think it's just a heck of a story. So I think there is, it is worth experimenting on the idea. We know that Fraser McWright is challenging now. Whether or not he's going to be there this year, we don't know. But in two years' time, you can bet your bottom dollar that he's going to be a better player. And we, we come back to the whole Hooper-Pocock sort of scenario. I know that James, um, James Hall will also said that, you know, why not experiment with another captain, give Hoops one or two matches off? and see how O'Connor goes, perhaps. And he didn't actually say, you know, James, I know that Alan Alatoa would, has uh, leadership ambitions, he captains the Brumbies, but, but I think there needs to be a bit of a change in a circuit breaker there. Um, and, and I think it's a good time, two, two, two years out from a World Cup too. Lockie, is there that exact example that, that Christy mentioned there, is there an opportunity here to kind of, to kill two birds with one stone for one of a, a lack of a, a better expression that maybe in this France series, Hoops is coming home from Japan. Um, it's a perfect opportunity to say, you know what, we're going to give Fraser a run here. And also James O'Connor, we want you to captain while Hoops is sidelined. And, and just to give him a taste and give Fraser a taste and just to see how it feels and how the players respond. And would you, would that be a course of action you think that could have some, some benefits for, for the Wallabies? Yeah, mate. I, you know, I definitely think it's an option. First of all, I think Hoops has always been um, harshly criticised. Um, you know, as as Christy said, he's always had a huge amount of respect from the, the playing group back in Australia. If that's the Super Rugby players or the Australian players, um, you only hear positive things said about him. And whenever you play a guy like Hoops, you always he always stands out in game. So I think off form... Um, you know, he should never be questioned about his effort or, or form or et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, Christy brings up some good points, mate. I, I think, um, you know, this six months might have done the job in terms of lifting, you know, the weight and the stress off Hoops' shoulder. He might come back, you know, a, a, a player now similar to James O'Connor, um, you know, just after a different experience playing overseas, having a different voice, different coaches, um, you know, it might have been the, the blessing in disguise pre-2023 World Cup that, that he needed. I'm not sure. Um, you know, I think to know really who the right man for the job is, you've got to be within the circle. You've got to be within the Wallabies group. Um, you know, I think it's a feeling thing within the players, the coaching staff, um, to know who the best man for the job is. I think it's just as important having a really good leadership squad behind whoever gets a C next to his name. And I think the Wallabies do have a really good leadership squad with guys like James O'Connor, uh, Whitey, Big Allen. Um, they've got hoops there. Matty Tamua, who's been around a lot. Um, you know, people think James O'Connor's magic for, for going for those three points. But, you know, I think it's just part of his journey. You know, playing in so many different teams, you learn... Um, you know, what your team's strengths are. You know, James O'Connor will know that going to a line-out versus the Brumbies isn't the smartest thing to do. You know, you saw last year, I think it was about maybe five to seven minutes to go left in the grand final. They went to a line-out. We stole the ball um, and then kind of held the ball for the last five to seven minutes and, and kept them from, from scoring to win the game. So, you know, I think you only learn that playing overseas and playing in so many teams, which 
could be the detriment to Hoops being such a good player and a and a one club man at the at the you know he was at the Brumbies, but spending most of his career at the the Waratahs and the Wallabies under one coach with Checker, you know sometimes that can be a little bit of a detriment. Where James O'Connor's wild journey has also you know he's it's it's helped create the person he is and the and the rugby mind he's got now that he knows kick the three and, you know, we will wait till there's tied defenders and unstructured play. And that's when we'll score our points. Um, you know, if he was playing in, in a French team or a premiership team, I'm sure he wouldn't always kick the three. He would have, you know, gone to the line with a good mauling team and, and scored more tries. So, you know, I think that's a, a huge bonus to James O'Connor and his decision-making games you know, you don't need to have the C next to your name to contribute to to those decisions. You know, if Michael Hooper is still the captain, I'm sure he would look to guys like Whitey or James O'Connor. Um, you know, for their for their help and input in in big decisions during a game. Um, you know, I think Fraser McWright's form's been great, and you know, I'd be surprised if he doesn't play a big part in in the three tests versus the French. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I think Dave Rennie and the coaching coaching staff, you know, it's it's a great, great problem to have. They've got selection problems and they've got, you know, selection problems with leaders also. Um, and I don't think Aussie rugby's probably had that for, for the last four or five years. So all in all, it's a positive problem to have. Um, and, you know, if it's Hoops, if it's James O'Connor, if it's Alan, if it's Whitey, um, I'm sure they'll all do a really, you know, positive, proud job in the gold jersey with a C next to their name. Christy, um, is Nick White potentially the only other option? I know Lockie's mentioned Alan Alatoa there, um, but clearly uh, Tenniel Atupu, you would think, is is holding the lead um, to have that uh, that tight end proposition for the Wallabies. Is Nick White a guy, another guy that we could throw in there potentially? and Or is it just a matter of adding those guys to a, to a really well-defined leadership group, perhaps under Dave Rennie and saying, look, you know what? Oops, we're sticking with you, and um, but we're just going to give you these two guys. Clearly, as the halves pairing, playing a vital role on the field as it is, just that little bit of extra um, captaincy support. Yeah, possibly. These guys, as as Lockie says, they're, they're part of the leadership group as it is, um, and and that is vital. I don't think Nick White is is your captain. I think he's uh, he's a good, very good player. Um, but I think also he's a somewhat divisive how he how he plays, he, how he sees the game. I know that the coaching staff and probably you and I and Lockie like the way he plays. We like the control that he has, his box kicking. I think it's a good thing. But he would divide the Australian community once again because he that those are strengths that don't necessarily um, resonate with the Australian rugby community. Uh, I think they probably would go, well, why is Tate McDermott not playing or starting? Um, you know, the running threat is such a such a positive one. Um, but I don't think, I'm not advocating for Tate Dermott to start. I think Nick White's doing a good job. Um, so, no, I don't think Nick White is, is, is the right person. I think if it was to change, I think you run with someone like O'Connor. But my hunch is that they'll still back Michael Hooper. Um, yeah. But, but, but. You know, I, I think it's important that they go, this is our vice captain. And if that is James O'Connor, this is our vice captain. Because for quite a long while, Michael Checker did this as well. It wasn't actually clear a lot of the time who the vice captain was. It chopped and changed a little bit. I would like to see a, a real, you know, Michael Hooper, if he is the captain 
and whoever the vice captain is, it's that's our vice captain. Um, it gives more authority and it gives more direction, I think. Absolutely. All right, boys. Well, I think we've probably gone over today, but uh, that's a sign of a very, very high quality discussion. No doubt. Uh, Lockie, mate, thanks for, for tuning in from Japan. An absolute pleasure to have you on and have that excellent insight, both into the Brumbies and then what it's like to be a professional player in these in these different environments, mate. And uh, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll get you back on in maybe a few weeks' time. No, thanks for having me, mate. Great chatting about Aussie back home and you two are doing a great job. So we'll chat soon. And good on you, Christy, mate. Pleasure. And uh, we'll talk in a couple of weeks.